Welcome to Wavelengths, a podcast with Amphenol Broadband Solutions. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of Wavelengths, an Amphenol broadband podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and you're jumping into part two of a two-part conversation with our guest, Barry Holt, Vice President of Global Cable Operations for Amphenol Broadband. So if you're jumping into part two, probably want to take a pause hit the rewind button, go find a part one and get yourself caught up because this picks up right where we left off in that last conversation. If you are rejoining us after listening to part one, congratulations, you're on the right episode. And like I mentioned, we're picking up where we left off. So with our conversation with Barry, we've been exploring major supply chain disruptions to the broadband industry. Now, these include things like shortages to raw materials, uh, trade dynamics like tariffs, uh, as well as incentives to manufacture and buy locally manufactured here in the United States. Uh, But where we're going to jump back in is looking overseas at some of the uh, dynamics that are disrupting the supply chain in China, specifically in Shanghai. Uh, And we're also going to weigh some of the short-term and long-term strategies that you, our telecom and broadband audience, should take to heart to maneuver some of these supply chain disruptions. So without further ado, let's jump back into the conversation with Mr. Barry Holt, Vice President of Global Cable Operations for Amphenol Broadband. Well, Barry, we've been discussing this back and forth uh, between the United States and China and the relationship between these two major economic powerhouses and how that is shaping the supply chain for our industry. Uh, We've been talking a lot about the U.S. Now we're going to pivot our focus over to China, which is having its own uh, port congestion issues and supply chain disruptions. So right now in the city of Shanghai, we're seeing rolling lockdowns. We've seen them now for the last several weeks, and they're having a major impact on the global supply chain. Uh, Port congestions are delaying shipments. We see ships stuck offshore for days at a time. And uh, China houses seven of the world's 10 biggest container ports. Uh, So, you know, not just in Shanghai, but across the entire coast of China. And this can create disruptions, you know, when there are mainland issues in China for sourcing raw materials, goods, components, etc. What impact are uh, the Shanghai lockdowns having on the sourcing of raw materials as well as new components for the current phase of broadband deployments that we're seeing in the United States today? Connect the dots for our audience. So the effect is huge. Uh, and it's the last three or four months China's taken a zero policy on, um, on COVID. You know, you have cities with four or five million people having a hundred new cases being shut down for a period of time. You know, we have many plants in China and most of them were shut down for a week or two. Um, but it's it's a rolling lockout, as you said, and, you know, through certain isolations. So I honestly, I don't think we've seen the effect of that. Um, I think it's coming. But uh, we're having large problems with, even though our plants are all running, raw material flow in the country is, is not very easy. Right now, it's still, you can travel state to state inside China. If you do, it's a seven-day quarantine when you come back to your home. Um, inside your town or your, your state is, is a little freer. Uh, but we're finding, you know, 
trucks that are coming from other states have to have a seal on their door. Basically, the driver cannot leave his vehicle while he's in the state until he goes back out. So a lot of crazy measures that they're putting in place. You know, and part of that is they're, you know, they've reduced uh, their carbon footprint. Uh, they're closing industries. So the effect, we're still struggling through these supply chain issues. And this effect of China shutting down, I don't think we've seen the effects of yet. We're definitely seeing it. You know, our factories in China are restricted. Some months, especially on customers like automotive, is, is not running. Uh, they're all shut down in China at this point. So it's right now we're we're trying to get over the hump and it's it's sometimes reducing our factories by 25-30% of their production for the month but the ports the imports and stuff like that is to come I, we're not like we're just starting to see the effect of these shutdowns and what they'll have long term um, but it's there's no indication that China's going to lay back on their restrictions they believe that they can eradicate covid by you know, shutting down whole sections of the country every time there's a little bit of an outbreak. And I, it's interesting because the rest of the world is kind of looking at it like we're moving to a stage that's almost like the cold, you know, that you, you can tough through it. Um, but masks are dropped for most countries. There's a lot of countries around the world that have declared that the COVID, you know, pandemic is over completely with zero restrictions. But China basically refuses. And uh, I don't think they're going to change their opinion. And I, I, the effect of it is, like everything else, we're probably going to see it four, five, six months down the road, more and more impacts on the supply chain and, and containers. Um, so it's, yeah, we're, we're working through it on a day-to-day -day in China, um, but we're definitely seeing some huge restrictions, some difficulties, booking containers, everything's really difficult right now. So the, that ripple effect is to come. We're just not, we haven't seen that in North America, I don't think yet. So then what advice would you offer to the industry today? Uh, because some of the rolling lockdowns we're seeing in Shanghai and across China are easing slightly. Uh, you know, I think we saw the worst peaks of, um, you know, the consequences of those lockdowns on the supply chain, um, maybe a few weeks ago. Uh, but like you said, right, we're still seeing domino effects and the full uh, result, right, the full consequences, I, I think, won't be felt entirely for a little bit. So then, you know, if this zero COVID policy persists in China, do you see benefits to weathering some of those delays uh, in order to maintain supplier partnerships with these Chinese um you know, raw material or component or good suppliers, uh, you know, um, to which U.S. companies have built strong relationships with already, right? So do you recommend we weather the storm a bit on that or uh, or not, right? Give me your thoughts. I do. You know, I've been going to China for over 25 years. And regardless of what we do, we're not going to replace that labor pool too quickly. You know, so it's going to alternate sources is great. Um, I think going to other countries uh, helps the global economy and stuff. So evening it out, but cutting relations or not weathering it through China and sticking with them, I think would end up, um, there's just no easy replacement for that supply chain. And even though people are working at it to go to other countries, the extent and the size of the Chinese Goliath, I guess, is, uh, is hard to get away. 
So we're I, to some extent you have to weather it. I think you're better like us. We're we're definitely opening some other options, second and third sourcing, making sure that you have some options. But long term, I, I believe China, like always, they will get through their problems. And once they start back up, you know you can't burn those relationships. So I I, I believe we have to weather it a little bit, uh, stick with them. And keep those relationships because the capacity is sitting there. They just have to get over this hump. And we all know that every country has had a couple of waves. So, you know, and they're not indefinite. They're just for a period of time. And hopefully this will be the same. But yeah, I I suggest we ride it out. You mentioned that there is some value in diversifying the supplier base. Uh, It seems like in the short term, that is the strategy that major multinationals are taking. Uh, you can look to AT&T, for example. They uh, have been reported to um, ha- have weathered the storm, right? The, this metaphorical storm of supply chain disruptions rather well over the last couple of years. And this was because they anticipated the impacts of tariffs, which were um, you know, creating some extra costs in that trade relationship between the U.S. and China. Uh, and... Uh, this also happened around, you know, maybe a few months into the COVID crisis. So as they saw these issues uh, manifesting and likely continuing for years, what they did was diversify their supplier base. So AT&T added partners for raw materials, goods, et cetera, in Mexico, in Taiwan, in Vietnam, right? Not just in China. What are some learning lessons from this, right? Does that strategy work just as well for all players in the space, or do you think AT&T was uniquely set up here because of its scale and size to be able to shift resources from uh, you know, one locale to the next? What's your analysis of this strategy and you know, what we can learn from it? Yeah, I think it was a good strategy for them. I, I think that they were a little ahead of the curve. I don't doubt that. I, I think what people fail to realize is just switching is usually a cost increase. So mm-hmm. a lot of these other countries, even though they're low wage also, are more expensive than China. China, you know, has subsidized raw materials and manufacturing for years. So the switch to diversify is a more expensive option. And, you know, that's unfortunate for almost everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, Mexico or Vietnam or you're you're, you're adding some to the costs. And in, in the end, those costs will, you know, will end up in the customer's hands at some point. And that's why we're seeing the inflation and the stuff go through. Um but that you know that was the power of of low cost China, and uh, I think it's I think it's smart. We did the same thing, you know. I, when the tariffs hit, we were kind of caught off guard. We had a huge amount of product coming in from China. You know, I worked for quite a long time before we got the plant up and running in Vietnam. But the uh, what we found instantly was that all trains led back to China. It didn't matter if you were buying from India or Korea or Mexico the raw material side still linked back to China. So to get totally out of that was was difficult. Um, so some of the changes that are being made now will be long-term. It's, it's going to open some more. But a lot of these countries, Vietnam, Korea, Mexico, they have their governments have to heavily invest in supporting raw materials locally. And that's part of part of the change. And we're not totally seeing it yet, I think, Vietnam's a little farther ahead. I think Mexico, when you look at their agenda, you know, their president and the policies locally, it's they're not pouring money into raw material development, you know, so that's 
I, I think they're still behind it. So the diversification is is a is a smart. I, I think everybody should be doing it, but they have to realize that there's a cost involved. Just switching it out of China is going to cost you more. And in the end, where you know, if tariffs and things free up and China gets out of COVID and everything goes back to normal, you're all suddenly going to be faced with the fact that you're buying a product out of Vietnam that's 10% more or out of Mexico that's, you know, 15 or 18% more than out of China. And and people will switch back to, to try and keep the costs. So I think, you know, not only diversifying is good, but these these countries have a huge amount of investment to do if they want to hold this business long term. It's... Uh, you know, before they couldn't compete, 25% tariff makes that different. If the tariff goes away, all of a sudden, the you know, that savings is, is changed. So I think that's part of your question before, you know, it's it definitely diversify, but burning your bridges back to China is not the way to go. And I don't think it'll be a combination long-term. Once again, Barry, you're teeing me up pretty perfectly. <laughs> so let's jump over to our short and long-term strategies then. If, uh, you know, if your advice is then in the long-term not to burn those supplier bridges, what do you see as some of the short-term versus the long-term, uh, you know, first threats, right? Further disruptions uh, to current and future broadband projects because of the supply chain. And then what do you see as the subsequent short-term and long-term strategies for dealing with not only today's challenges, but the ones that could manifest here over the next several months. I think you have to use your leverage. Uh, we all have a lot of buying power with these guys. We've got to stress the fact that in the long term, you know, costs could change again. Uh, so if if tariffs or things were changed, I, th I think I, I don't know. In my opinion is that the tariffs can't be long term. You know, usually tariffs uh, end up in higher inflation rate which you can see in the United States already, if you, maybe the administration down the road is going to take those off. So I think on the short term, you know, most people are getting by. Uh, we're fighting through it uh, with some other vendors. But as the costs change and things open back up, I think long term, we need to be pressing our suppliers to, you know, commit to push their governments to, to make sure that you're investing while the business is there so you can hold it long term. Because I, I believe the long term, you're going to see less tariffs. Maybe they never go away, uh, but I can't see them being a 25%. You know, when you have a huge inflation rate in the United States, you have uh, open jobs where, you know, out of every application, there's only two people or one person applying for every two jobs. Long term, if you want to solve some of those issues, you're going to have to open it back up. So I, I think long term, we have to, long term, I, I think, It'll be back to China again, but I, I believe that at that point, everybody should be, you always got to keep the both avenues open. Maybe it doesn't go 100% to China. Maybe it goes back to 50-50. Um, so short term, we have to get through it. But long term, I think you have to, you can't bet out that China won't be back in. I, I know they'll be in for sure. There's just too much uh, at stake. And when we talk about supply chain strategies, uh, you know, a lot of times we can analyze the issues and yet the solutions aren't always fully in the control of individual players in broadband, right? Whether they're on uh, the uh, actual sort of infrastructure deployment side or they're in the, you know, sourcing of raw materials and uh, uh, manufacturing of 
key components in the electronics side of the industry. So what would you say in these disruptions is in the industry's control versus what isn't, right? And how should that define where they put their energy and where to, you know, maybe de-stress a little bit? I think what you said, you have to think both short-term and long-term. I, I think switching around partnerships are really important and have always been important. Dealing with steady partners long-term that you can depend on is important. And I think even if you've had to switch or diversify now to others, you have to consider that some of those relationships have to be long-term and you have to treat them like that. It can't be uh, just driving everybody for supply and cost and stuff like that. In the end, I think it's showing that uh, good partnerships um, is the key to business, not just, uh, you know, reverse auctions and switching for a small price and everything. I, I think in these times, it's realizing that have a partner that you can depend on uh, for supply is more important than it was in the past. Um, I think in the past, even you had lots of options, you know, you could go to three or four suppliers and you could play them off each other and, you know, bid, have bidding wars and open auctions and everything. But it, those things have changed. And now when there's a shortage everywhere, I think you, what you can depend on is the partnerships that you've had in place. And I think going forward, that's important. You need to create long-term partnerships so that you can get a committed supply and make sure that you're, you know, near the top of the list when these these uh, suppliers need you now. Um, but down the road, that's going to reverse. Down the road, maybe we get through this and they're going to depend on you. And that's, you know, these relationships will come and go. Uh, and you have to you have to work at them long term. I don't think you can treat the relationships like they're just getting you out of trouble today. And I, I think that's what we've learned from this is, We've always prided ourselves in that we are partners with our suppliers. It's a give or take. They have to be in business. We have to be in business. And that's true for everybody. And I, I think some players in the industry have been the opposite way. Um, but I think through the thick and thin, we we really haven't had any supply issues where we've started to short people. And I think partly is that is it depends on relationships that we put in place over a long period of time. So I think that's that's the key going forward, that relationships have to be built and dependent on. And it's, you know, having 20 or 30 vendors and just playing them off each other for the cheapest price is not a long-term plan. All right, Barry, we've laid out the short-term and the long-term plans. So I think with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up today's podcast. So Thank you so much for weighing in here and giving us your analysis of the various supply chain disruptions that are shaping and uh, impacting and in a lot of ways holding back broadband projects that are meant to elevate the U.S. industry as well as expand access to underserved areas. Hopefully, a lot of these challenges start to diminish now that, uh, you know, we're seeing again some of those uh, lockdowns ease up in China, but with the unpredictability of the global supply chain, it can be hard to say for certain that the worst is behind us, right? So with that in mind, I think our audience can take a lot of learning lessons from not only the last two years, but also our analysis today, and hopefully that can help 
lay out an action plan that is more sustainable in the short and the long term. So thank you again to our guest, Mr. Barry Holt. He's vice president of global cable operations for Amphenol Broadband. And uh, Barry, if folks want to get in touch with you, they want to pick your brain on this a little bit more, or they just want to learn more about uh, ABS's place in the larger uh, broadband supply chain, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, they can uh, use my email and uh, contact us through the website. Um, but sure, yeah, I'm okay. And it's been a pleasure as always, Daniel. Nice talking to you and enjoyed it. Fantastic. Barry, thank you again for your time. It's been a pleasure. And we'll get another pulse check here down the line. Thanks again. Great. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of Wavelengths, an Amphenol broadband podcast. If you like what you heard and saw today and you want previous episodes of the show, make sure that you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you're heading to our website, amphenolbroadband.com. Again, that's amphenolbroadband.com. And there you'll find previous episodes of the show as well, uh, along with other Amphenol broadband content like videos, blogs, articles, research papers, you name it. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Wavelengths. <laughs>